October 31st, 2017 celebrated the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle Church door in 1517. Though the Reformation had already been occurring prior to Luther through the work of John Wycliffe and other individuals and groups that preceded him, this act of Luther's was the watershed event that produced the major movement of the Protestant Reformation. Several years after Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door, and after he had been formally excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church, he was called before the Imperial Diet at Worms. An Imperial Diet is essentially a formal meeting before the Emperor. The purpose of him being summoned was so that the emperor could intimidate him into recanting his beliefs, but he adamantly refused to do so, and one of his final statements still echoes down through history today. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. That statement was one of the greatest historical declarations of commitment to the cause of truth over tradition. Periodically, among the brethren that I work with overseas, we get into discussions on doctrine that challenge traditional interpretations by measuring them up against biblical truth. And I often make the statement that our teaching and the doctrinal beliefs that our teaching produces has to be both clearly biblical and logically reasonable. By clearly biblical, I mean not only that you have to be able to find it in the Bible, but it has to be obviously what the Bible is communicating. And by logically reasonable, I mean it cannot be something that is insensible and impossible to harmonize with a rational use of language and grammar and context and other things. The Bible alone is the basis of all truth that we teach, and truth is consistent in its claims, and its tones are never disharmonic with one another. Each biblical truth is a harmonious note in the greater chord of the whole of biblical truth that makes up the composition that is the scripture. But as I said a moment ago, biblical truth isn't inconsistent with logic and reason either. It's not illogical or incomprehensible. The Bible might contain mysteries, but when they're revealed, they're clear in their meaning. They're not unintelligible or incoherent. And many times the traditions that have been developed among churches, whether the monolithic church that Luther was taking a stand against, or even potentially among our churches, when analyzed in the piercing light of the scripture alone, are sometimes revealed to be not only not biblical, but when taken as a whole, are nearly unintelligible. I recently had a dear brother in the Lord say to me that his view of a certain doctrine we'd been discussing didn't have to make logical sense. And unfortunately, he was right in part of that point because it didn't make logical sense. The fact of the matter is that his interpretation that he was espousing, and it was on the subject of the Godhead, doesn't even make sense to its many proponents. And they readily admit this in their writings and statements. Given that I know those with differing conceptions of certain doctrines still nearly universally would agree that we as Protestants trace our lineage back to the work of the Reformation, consider again Luther's exact words. He said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason. Luther understood, as we should understand, that scripture is based on reason and it's not intended to be incoherent or harmoniously inconsistent meaning it can't be insensible in that whatever you're explaining has no basis in reality or in previously revealed scriptural truth, 
and it has to be consistent with what the whole of Scripture teaches. So you cannot cherry-pick out a statement in Scripture that you think says something about Jesus or God or, for that matter, other subjects, and build a doctrine on it without taking everything that the Scripture says about that particular subject, bringing it all into a package, and then determining what the entire holistic message of the Scripture is on that subject. If we're talking about the subject of the Godhead, if a person believes that God intends to communicate his truths about himself to human beings in some kind of an insensible way, they're not understanding God. God isn't intending to confuse us. He's not the author of confusion, after all. God wants us to understand who he is. He wants us to know who his Son is. He wants us to experience his Holy Spirit. And he intends for his eternal power in Godhead to be clearly seen and understood by the things that are made, as Romans 1.20 tells us. Which means that the structure of the Godhead, the nature of the fact that there is a Father and a Son, and, and that the Spirit is a Spirit of God, is not intended to be something so complex that based on our belief about it, we would have to claim that it's beyond human understanding. Because God himself says that the Godhead is intended to be clearly seen and understood, and the things that are made that he intends to clearly see and understand it include us. So whether we're talking about the Godhead, the issue of which goes back more than 1,700 years now, or whether we're talking about something far more modern, like the issue of the identity of the devil, which began to be challenged by the Christadelphians in the 1800s AD, and which has become such a divisive wedge issue among us still today, no matter how ancient or how accepted a tradition might be, any theological presupposition, no matter how firmly entrenched it is, has to be clearly demonstrated to be both biblical and logical, or it should be rejected as false doctrine. It doesn't matter who or how many believe it either. Truth in its highest and purest sense has always been the possession of the few rather than the many. Tradition at least tradition that's false, in contrast, has always been like a veil that covers the spiritual eyes of the many. Luther, in his declaration at the Diet of Worms, went on to say, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. That is precisely what the motivation of those of us who are seeking restoration must be. If we are going to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, as Jude 3 exhorts us to do. The original orthodoxy, which is beliefs, and orthopraxy, which is the truth and order of the early church, was lost in the carnal confusion of the post-biblical period councils of men and in the establishment of an impure order and operation that was the result of the church adulterating itself with the Roman Empire. Just like Luther, we do not accept the authority of papal doctrine or dominion, nor do we accept the production of beliefs and practices that came out of a politically instigated, philosophically tainted, and imperially influenced point of origin. Biblical truth is not delineated by man-made measures. It's not determined by philosophical argumentation or incoherent ideological ideas. It's not defined by the traditions that have been layered over top of it either, no matter how old those traditions are, and no matter how completely they've covered up what the Bible originally and actually says. And it will not remain bound by the constraints of the carnal counsels of men. Psalms 85.11 tells us that truth shall spring out of the earth. Biblical truth was biblical truth before it was mired in the tainted traditions of men. Those who heard its clarion call in the days of the early church were some of the greatest lights of that and any age, and some of the mightiest men and women of God who have ever walked this earth. 
The overcomers in the early church period comprehended the truth clearly enough to go on to perfection, and they did so before any of the later councils and their creeds attempted to more intelligently expand, and I mean that in quotes, on the purity and simplicity of biblical truth. The point being that if the church could produce the highest and purest product that it's intended to produce, which is perfection, without the overly complicated and philosophically tainted ideas that were introduced into it in the next hundred years, that now some claim have to be believed as they were taught in the three or four hundreds AD, several centuries after the time of Christ, surely we would not have to agree with complex and, to be blunt, incomprehensible ideas that were the product of later church councils, when the simplicity of the word of God that the early church had was far more than sufficient to take people on to full salvation, without believing in those strange and philosophically polluted ideas and the theological jargon that has been associated with them. We seek the same truths that the early church possessed, the pure and primitive truth of the full and entire gospel that was preached by the apostles and prophets of the early church period when the church was at the height of its purity and power. The church certainly did not become greater over time. It became lesser. It is a fool's argument, and I've heard it made by church historians, to claim that the bishops and theologians living hundreds of years after the time of the early church, deeply steeped in Greco-Roman philosophy and ideology, were somehow more intelligent and clear in their thought and understanding of the scripture than the very apostles upon which the foundation of the church was built. There have been no men who have lived up until this day who are equal to the apostles of the early church. And that is one of the critical reasons we cannot base truth on the traditions of men, but only on the firm foundation of what the Reformers referred to as sola scriptura, a Latin phrase meaning scripture alone, which was another of the battle cries of the Reformation that has gone nearly silent in our present day, where theological truth is heavily cloaked in tradition in many churches, and outside of the church, truth has almost entirely lost its meaning. We seek the truth that was given in the ancient days in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. And like Paul, it is our desire that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men or based on man-made traditions, but in the power of God.